Hey, gods, mortals, and fiendish villains. We have two announcements. We have merch available for all of you guys, designed by Jamie Harrison. It's amazing. We have a ton of cool designs, and they make great gifts for you, a friend, or someone in your family. We have everything from our traditional logo to a Pulp Fiction option, even one that we've lovingly named Pastel Goth. So if you want to check them out, just head on over to our website and click the Merch tab. We also have a new Patreon tier. It's available for one month only, just until the new year. It's $50, and you can send your D&D character sheet and any descriptions that you have to me and Tracy, and I will write you a story introducing your character into the adventure of their dreams. And I will draw custom art of your character based on your sheet and any information you send to us. And the best part is you can then take that character and put them in the middle of our battle royale. We're so excited. We're going to host a battle royale with everyone who joins the limited tier. There are only 10 slots available. It's a great gift for your DM or anyone in your party who's looking for a D&D themed gift. But it can also be a great gift for yourself. 2020 has put me in a little bit of a treat yourself mood. So Me too. <laughs> if you're there with us, check out our new Patreon tier. And as always, we hope you enjoy the episode. For two people who never run out of things to talk about, nothing makes me forget every topic in the world like pressing record. (laughs) (laughs) The worst part is that I've gotten trained to wait for you to say something clever. And then I just go off of it. (laughs) I strongly dislike that. All right. You know what? I'm going to be quiet. (laughs) You just just be quiet. I'll. um... I literally couldn't even think of anything. I was like, oh, I'll just list off all the food I ate today. Like, I truly have never had a thought in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It is like that, though. It is. I was asking a friend who speaks multiple languages what the word uh, for pomegranate was in Hebrew, and she just looked at me and was like, I've I don't know any words ever. I I can't. I'm so... (laughs) All words are gone. (laughs) I have that so often now when I type. I saw a really good tip for writers. Mm -hmm. And it was when you forget the exact word you want for something, instead of getting stuck on it in really big caps, just type like elephant and then keep going. And then when you scroll back through your writing and you see the elephant word, you can just replace it when you remember. But that way you don't lose the flow of your storytelling, trying to desperately figure out what that one word is. That would be so helpful if I could train myself to do that. Uh, That would take a lot of work to get there, though. Although I usually do go through when I edit my stories and look for places that I could use a synonym. Because you can't just be using the same word all the time. Oh, I Google synonym for blank. Oh, my God. Yes. Well, Google will do it natively. Google Docs, too. How? Well, you can do the definition, like click the highlight and click the word and then it'll say the definition and under the definition it'll offer you a few synonyms my brain is so microsoft word trained 
I right-clicked it and there was no Sitharis. Sitharis. There was no Sitharis. Well, the worst part is I tried to reframe that so I wasn't saying like as much and then ended up just functionally not being able to talk. <laughs> the Sitharis is a small, vicious dinosaur. Ooh. Ooh. It's, is it meat eater or is it just nasty? It's just nasty. <laughs> it made it sexual. It's just a nasty, dirty dinosaur. <laughs> I didn't even blink. I accepted Nasty Dinosaur right away. (laughs) Tiny, tiny, vicious little T-Rex in a suit for some reason, like, or a full tux. And it's just nasty. It's just, it's your dino daddy. (laughs) Sure. Let's go. Jurassic Park's 18. (laughs) Stop enabling me. I keep making bad daddy puns. I would argue that my role in your life is just to enable you. Yeah, that you do. Yeah. I'm sorry, but you know what? You got a podcast out of it, so here we are. (laughs) It's a good thing. Our podcast exists basically because for a long, long time, Tracy vocally said, I want to have a podcast. And I quietly in my head said, I want a podcast. And when those two (laughs) things crossed paths, we came to Willing and Fable, a podcast about ancient myths, local legends, and why stories have staying power. By the way, I'm your host, Rowan Hall. And I'm your host, Tracy Harrison. Oh, that was so smooth. Beautiful. Bask. Truly, we're nailing it. I think in every way possible, we're nailing it. (laughs) I mean, listen, to be cool, you can't call out your moments that are cool, but it's the end of a long year. Here I am. I feel cool for a brief second. Serotonin. (laughs) You said that in your Astrid voice, which I really appreciate. Oh, did I? (laughs) We love her. She's a sweet baby. She's a sweet baby. I want to buy that serotonin because of that tone of voice you used. So melodic. So beautiful. (laughs) I'm sure that was my customer service phone voice when I was in a job that I won't say that needed it. I always found that my customer service voice got deeper. I think people either go much higher or much deeper. And I always went a lot deeper, so I would seem more calming. I always wanted to be that person, but I go higher to seem non-threatening and obliging. Huh. Womanhood. Am I right? Yeah, it do be like that. <laughs> what the heck are we actually talking about today? All right. So I think we can all agree winter is here. I don't know about you. I think the weather is getting a little bit cooler in, in L.A. It's definitely getting colder in Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. It's getting colder. Officially. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, it's officially winter. And in my opinion, there is nothing quite like sitting by a fire and sharing tales with your friends There is just something so comforting about sitting by a fireplace with a soft snow falling outside and a warm drink in your hand, maybe a book in your lap. The only thing better would be to have a happy little creature clean up the fireplace for you when you're all done. So this week, we are honoring house fairies, elves, and all manner of creatures alike by bringing you two of our favorite tutelary spirits. These are guardians, patrons, protectors, or even deities that are linked to a particular person, place, family, geography, culture, or occupation. And I know that those are pretty big lists. But but let's just say 
the two creatures we're talking about today are either going to do your chores for you or leave you with more work. Rowan, did you ever imagine that you had kind of little creatures living in your house growing up? Did you ever believe in that? Uh, I think I jumped straight to ghosts. Mm. I I did. I was very much into the, like, I really truly as a kid believed there was like little leprechauns or house elves running around and we would try to catch them and set up traps for them as kids. Which now looking back, it was so cool because it was me and a, a neighbor and our parents when we were like at the other one's house hunting for their little creatures would like put stuff out and then we'd come back <gasps> and our trap had been sprung and stuff was in it. Oh, that is such cute parenting. Right? And I bet as a parent, it's just like, oh, yes, this is a, a moment. Were you, I have such a hard time remembering which classes of mine you were in. Were you in the first grade class where we tried to catch a leprechaun on St. Patrick's Day? Yes, I think that's what inspired me to do it. I definitely spent time trying to catch creatures after that, for sure. Mm -hmm. But it never occurred to me that they would be house critters, house fairies. I Probably because I, I live in the woods. I always just thought they'd be in the woods. Oh, that's true. You had a very magical place to explore. You know, history provides, nature provides. <laughs> it's all there. <laughs> so what's your story for today? So today I'm going to be talking to you about the Domovoy, a Russian folkloric house creature also known as the Domovik in Ukrainian and the Domovik in Belarusian. This creature was first reported in the 6th century CE and can be found in different forms all across Slavic mythology. All peasant homes have a Domovoy and this creature can represent one or even all of the ancestors of the family that dwell in the house. I would argue that I am a peasant, Mm -hmm. And the fact that I don't have one is concerning. Um, I am also not Russian, so that might be why. I would also argue, you'll see, they're very big on, like, the master of the house. And I would say that as an apartment renter, you have the excuse of um, saying, my landlord is the master of the house. So whenever I make my apartment messy, it just goes and messes with my landlord. Oh, I live for that logic. Mm -hmm. According to Russian historian Ekaterina Cody in her YouTube video for UT Liberal Arts, quote, If you go to Moscow to a gift shop or to a market, you will see these little dolls sold everywhere made of fabric or straw or wood. That is Domovoy, our longest surviving folkloric creature. Domovoy is a Russian household spirit, and the word itself comes from the word dom, meaning house, hence Domovoy, the master of the house. End quote. The main function of the domovoy is to protect the household and their livestock. They will do this by guarding against other more malevolent spirits or even witches. They can be found riding the horses at night, lighting candles, and generally roaming about the home at night to keep watch, especially from neighboring families' domovoys who usually intend ill will towards other families. I love to imagine at night all the household domovoys are just running around fighting each other. Giggling? I imagine there's giggling. Like, instead of screaming or anything, they're just giggling. Giggling is usually a good sign with domovoy. Oh, okay. Usually, 
giggling and like hearing little pitter patter laughter is a sign of good things to come because you you hear them more than you see them. In mm. fact, you really shouldn't see them. It's kind of a bad sign. I'll get to that. But they have a really scratchy, raspy voice. And I imagine it's much less pleasant to hear them arguing with each other. So maybe when you wake up in the middle of the night and you hear what you think are cats fighting outside, it's actually Domovoy. A hundred percent, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so sometimes these creatures will walk into the room of sleeping members of the household and stroke their faces. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you had me and you lost me. Oh, I'm, it's going gonna, it's gonna to teeter-totter this whole time. It's going to be all good or all bad and nothing in between. Cool. Emotionally, that's where I want to be. <laughs> The good news is that if their hand is warm and soft, good things are coming your way. No! <laughs> no! <laughs> Which I actually wrote, you probably deserve good things after being caressed by a tiny, hairy little creature. By anyone ever in your sleep, <laughs> unbeknownst to you. Worse, if the hand is cold and prickly, bad things are coming your way. Which doubly sucks because one of those bad things is that you've just been touched by a creature that you did not invite to do so while you were sleeping. Is there some acceptance as a peasant? You know there's a domovoy in your house and so you just go, okay, I'm going to bed. Maybe a warm hand's going to touch me. Maybe a cold hand's going to touch me. <laughs> Here we go. I think so. I think you're just like, well, this what the fates got in store for me, I guess, huh? Oh, Just no. a, a nighttime caress on the cheek. If I lived closer to you, I would I would prank you so hard, my dude. Oh, yeah. Oh, just make it warm. I don't want a cold, prickly hand touching me. Oh. The problem is, oh, no, I know how to make my hand. Okay, I could do it. I could do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike other household spirits from around the world, the Domovoy are not linked to the brick and mortar upon which the house sits but instead they attach themselves to the family within the house. In fact, an old tradition states that the elder of the family should invite the domovoy along when moving to a new home, which I think is just the polite thing to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hey, you touched my face in the middle of the night? Come on, we're moving. <laughs> I only found one or two sources that mentioned that, but I, I absolutely had to include it because oh, it yeah. is so unsettling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> According to ThoughtCo, quote, When a family built a new house, the eldest would enter first, because the first to enter a new house was soon to die and become the domovoy. When the family moved from one house to another, they would rake out the fire and put the ashes into a jar and bring it with them, saying, Welcome, grandfather, to the new. But if a house was abandoned, even if it was burned to the ground, the domovoy remained behind to reject or accept the next occupant. Wow. To prevent the immediate death of the oldest member of the family, families could sacrifice a goat, fowl, or lamb and bury it under the first stone or log set and go without a domovoy. When the oldest member of the family eventually died, he became the domovoy for the house. If there are no men in the house or the head of the house is a woman, the domovoy is represented as a woman. End quote. That's making me think of... All right, here's my headcanon. Okay. A, a young couple. Mm -hmm. 
uh, queer couple. They get disowned from their strict families who are bigoted and awful, and so they're mm-hmm. no longer part of the family, so they don't have a domovoy. So mm-hmm. they have to do that, and they get one eventually later after living a long, happy, beautiful life together. And then maybe it's a non-binary domovoy? Is that... Yeah. I think I think it's the 21st century or Domovoy. You'll actually notice in my story, I never I never say he or she for the Domovoy. Mm-hmm. I'm very cognizant of that when writing it because your Domovoy is representing who you are and you could be anything. This is our headcanon. Join us. <laughs> so I have a fun fact for you. Every year on March 30th, the Domovoy will become malicious from dawn until midnight. Super fun holiday, right? Sounds. I love this. <laughs> sounds like a great day in my book. They can be appeased somewhat throughout the day with little gifts of cakes and sweets or leftovers from the table. In fact, it's good practice to give them these things fairly often to keep Domovoy happy and benevolent. You should also give it a small cloak or other clothes to wear by tucking them under the floorboard or beneath furniture. Doing this will keep your domovoy happy and kind, but remember they can be malicious or vengeful if not taken care of very well or ignored. Little tiny clothes for angry. For the angry tiny little man. He's just a (laughs) tiny little hairy man who gets his little cloak. Oh, I love it so much. (laughs) That's all I can picture is just this like, because they're really small. I'll talk about their appearance next, but like they're really small and hairy is like how they're always described. And often they'll have, like, the face of whoever's the head of the household or eldest of the family. Or they look, like, just creature-esque. Like, a lot of pictures you'll see, it's, they have a huge beard and just this little button nose and then glowing eyes. But just imagining them as this little, tiny, miniature old man with a big beard in his little cloak. Oh, it's so cute. Miniature like could stand on your hand or miniature like human baby or miniature like miniature horse. Great question. So to quote Thought Co. once again, in his most common appearance, the Domovoy is a little old man the size of a five-year-old or under one foot tall who is covered with hair. Even the palms of his hands and the soles of his feet are covered with thick hair. On his face, only the space around his eyes and nose is bare. Other versions describe the Domovoy with a wrinkled face, yellowish-gray hair, white beard, and glowing eyes. He wears a red shirt with a blue belt or a blue caftan, and a rose-colored belt. Another version has him appearing as a beautiful boy dressed completely in white, end quote. That last one sounds like it came about later, after maybe some uh, <coughs> Christianity came into play. Sprinkle a little, uh... Christianity on that one. And uh, you get angelic little boy, not hairy yeah. little man. <laughs> Either way, it's still touching your face while you're asleep. <laughs> gently caressing, Rowan. It's gently caressing your face in your sleep. <laughs> Frame it right. <laughs> I'm sorry. So there's sort of a mix and match vibe with these creatures when it comes to appearance. They can change how they look depending on the region or even the household. And that vibe is what inspired my story this week, which to me is reminiscent of a demonic Build-A-Bear meets a 1940s instructional video. You know those ones where it's like, hey you, 
What are you doing over there? Let's talk about gym class. Except in a transatlantic accent, which I can't do. I deeply love you. I feel <laughs> as if you are the perfect human being in this moment. Like, I see it clearly. <laughs> Demonic instructional video is the answer. What was the question? We don't know. And we don't need to know because we have the answer. Okay. Why, hello there. Yes, I'm talking to you. <laughs> yes, you. I hear you've just become the master of your own home. Congratulations. An excellent achievement, and that means it's time for you to pick out a domovoy of your own. Now there's nothing to fear. We're going to go through the steps together to make sure you find the perfect housemate for you. This is a very exciting time for you. My name is Nina, and we're going to talk about your domovoy and you. First, let's talk about appearances. Not just any old domovoy will work. You must find the one that fits you. If you're more traditional, you might like something large and hairy with a face that resembles your own. Let's take a look at this one over here. Its face looks just like you. Oh, I can tell by your expression that you don't prefer this type of creature. Some think it's quite fun to see a giant version of themselves with a long gray beard and fuzzy fur, but I suppose the novelty of that could wear off. No matter, you must choose what feels right to you. Let's take a look at a more modern appearance, shall we? Take your time and really feel what you want your friend to look like. It's important that you feel confident in your choice of folkloric appearance. Ah, I see you prefer the smaller version of the domovoy. Excellent. Now it's time to decide what else you'd like to see in your new friend. Gray fur, horns, a tail, red eyes that glow in the dim candlelight. All of the above. <laughs> Wonderful. Yes, this does seem to suit you perfectly. I especially love the way the horns curl back like a ram and those eyes so large. I can already picture this little friend blinking at you absently in the midnight darkness. So exciting. Now that you've decided what your creature looks like, oh, I just love the way it strokes its little beard. So thoughtful. Now it's time to discuss location. Where your domovoy lives is a reflection of you and your house, so it's important to find the right place for your creature to dwell. Now most domovoy live under the stove, in the center of the household, or under the foundation. However, this isn't a hard and fast rule. I've even heard of domovoy that choose to live in old boots. There are some who prefer to stay in animal outhouses, but that might be a little gauche by comparison. Would you say you're someone who prefers to bake or do puzzles or summon a minor demon in your free time? We don't judge here, but it's important we know all your hobbies so we can find the right place for your domovoy's little den. Okay, so you like to cross-stitch. <laughs> How lovely. And baking. Mm, delicious. And speaking with the spirit guides who stand at the end of your bed each night, muttering ancient unknown chants. <laughs> Charming and mysterious. So with all of that information, I think the best place for your domovoy to dwell is under your stove. You can lure it there by placing a piece of bread with a little salt right under the stove. <laughs> so simple. 
Now, you probably won't see your creature very often. In fact, you likely won't see it at all. Seeing your domovoi is a fairly bad omen. Don't look so frightened. We'll get to that later. For now, just know that you'll most likely hear your little pal pitter-pattering about, or talking to you in its raspy little voice. Maybe even it will take on the appearance of a cat or a dog. But you won't be able to see it in its current form while it's under the stove. Sad, I know. And your creature is so very charming, but it's just the way of our little friends. They'd rather be heard than seen. The next thing we need to discuss is how to make your domovoi happy in your home. It's important that you make your home nice for your new friend. If you make your home happy, safe, and peaceful for your domovoi, it will help you out with chores and other small tasks. Small tokens of appreciation are expected in return. After all, you wouldn't ignore a guest in your house, so why ignore your domovoi? It's up to you and your friend to figure out what is the best offering. But in my experience, small bowls of milk, porridge, bread, or salt will do the trick. But don't be afraid to experiment. Variety is the spice of life. Oh, you must also keep your house clean and tidy so that you and your domovoi can live in comfort. Domovoi are particular little creatures and really do insist on a well-run, well-maintained home. Think of it as a tiny, hairy alarm to remind you to put away the laundry or clean up the dishes. Lastly, maintain good manners around your new friend. Bad language or rude behavior will upset the creature. Trust me, you'd rather keep this little cutie nice and happy. Which reminds me, you must also not leave out any food or utensils overnight. They are very particular about utensils. Have been as long as anyone can remember. If you leave out utensils at night, just know they will use them for unfathomable purposes. Now don't forget that when you leave for a long time, such as on a trip, take a moment to let your friend know that it's going to be alone for a while. No one likes to be left alone without any notice. All you need to do is sit in silence for a few minutes once you've packed to leave. Then your domovoi will know that you'll be out for a while. Nothing to worry about when you're gone. It will take care of the house for you. Isn't that just lovely? They'll even protect your home from witches, spirits, and neighboring domovoi. Now let's say you do make a mistake. <laughs> I mean, who hasn't, right? You might mistakenly anger your domovoi. You'll know when this happens because it will start manifesting poltergeist activity in your home. Missing items, things thrown about, hissing from dark corners, things like that. They might try to smother you or a family member slightly in the middle of the night, but they won't kill you. So don't go fretting about that. Let's just say you wake up to the overwhelming darkness of a domo voice smothering you angrily in your sleep. <laughs> Don't panic. First thing you should do to make things right is clean up the house, then apologize for any rude behavior or lapse in judgment that may have angered the creature. That will usually work to appease your small friend, but if that doesn't make the creature happy, you can always sacrifice a cock at midnight. Oh, oh, no, 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 a rooster. <laughs> Just sprinkle the blood around the doorframe and in the corners and your domovoi will know that you are truly sorry. Keep an ear out for your domovoi. If you hear reoccurring sounds of laughter or dancing or happy little noises from your friend, you know that good things are on their way to you. They may also send warnings to you as well, such as a cold touch to indicate incoming misfortune. 
The worst, though, is when they snuff out a candle. That might mean your impending doom as head of the household. Fortunately, this is rare, and frankly, nothing can be done if it's foretold, so it's best just to enjoy the good times and make some happy memories with your house friend. Now, I think that's all we need to discuss. You're officially ready to take home your new domovoy. Congratulations! And may your blessings be many and your livestock be fruitful. And remember, I'm Nina, here to help you with all of your folkloric household creature needs. Oh my god, Nina and Astrid are friends. You can't tell me otherwise. I had to make a domovoy Astrid. She needs a buddy. Well, I'm just imagining that Nina is on staff to match people with their household creature of any kind. So, like, Mm -hmm. you've been a bad person, so it's time to match you with your poltergeist. (laughs) Like, yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love it. Also, you cheeky little bugger with your demon summoning. I love it. I had to throw it in there. I had to. I was like thinking up hobbies. I was like, I have to throw in demon summoning. The reason I chose to do it this way is one article I was reading kept saying like, you're Domovoy, well, blah, 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 blah. And I was just, I kept picturing someone being like, now when you take your Domovoy home, keep in mind these important maintenance steps. I demand artwork of Nina. (laughs) Okay. What do you think she looks like? I'm curious. For some reason, can't Mm -hmm. tell you why, She's got a short, very short bob in my head. Okay. And she dresses, you know, that professional look that is professional but still kind of homey, like a nanny, like an old school kind of like nanny vibe. Mm. Not matronly, but like she's not going to a skyscraper. She's matching people in their home. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, very, you know, a, a nice maxi skirt with a peasant blouse or Mm -hmm. something. I also think her eyeliner game is uh, perfect. Chef's kiss. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, I I like the, I like the the image. I'm imagining very dark hair. There's also got to be glitter somewhere. It's, it's, yeah, them's the rules. It is the rules. Because Astrid, for those who don't know, has almost like it's not rainbow hair. Like, it's very much pale colored hair that it, in my head ref- reflects different yeah, colors. Yeah, it's like pastel, rainbowy, And she's got glitter freckles. Yeah, it's a galaxy freckles on her cheeks. Because she's from Afterlife Enterprises. We love them. I love Nina. That was such a perfect way to do that story because we got so much information. Like, mm-hmm. Am I correct from your story that historically there was a time that domovoi were larger and then they became smaller over time Mm -hmm. yeah a pre-19th century i think it was they were big like you'll find artwork of them like sitting on the end of people's beds and paintings and they're like huge large person which is more unsettling big or little a hairy creature with your face (laughs) well then big just because in that case, anything bigger than you adds an intimidation factor aside from the creepiness of everything else, you know, as opposed to little, a, a smaller one will just inherently make smaller noises. 
maybe not fewer noises, but smaller noises. So you can be like, oh, the pitter-pattering, it's just like a mouse or something. It's definitely not my domovoi pissed off because I left dishes in the sink. During my research this week and while I was hearing your story, I keep imagining, you know the specific pitter-patter sound that ducks make when they walk? They run, little ducks. I mean, yeah, but probably not as well as you're thinking I do. <laughs> I will find a video. I will. I will. I will do that thing. Yeah. I mean, like the, the flappy pitter-patter of... <laughs> yeah, it's got a little flap quality to it. <laughs> but the sound... <laughs> a very normal sound. You know, the sound of a duck's pitter-patter, right? You know that sound. The, my classic opening relatable part of the story. <laughs> There's something about the Dumb Voice story that leads me to believe that this was employed to get children to do their chores. Yes. So that is my next part. I just shouted into my mic so loudly. I was so excited by that. Yes. So I wrote a section here that's just called Thoughts. To me, the Domovoi is such an interesting blend of mythology because on the one hand, you have this fairly ubiquitous household creature that you can find in cultures all over the world. It's a creature that can explain away any weird noises or strange occurrences in the household. But the domovoi has this element of, like, education to it. A huge part of the mythology of the domovoi is that you must keep your home tidy, you have to behave well, and you cannot use profane language. It is such a perfect tool to teach children. Think about little Jimmy cursing and acting out. Steal his favorite toy, rattle a few chains outside his door, and boom! Now he knows the Domovoi's angry with him, and he needs to behave. Touch his face at night with a cold hand. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine being the head of the household, and a strong wind blows through and, like, blows out a candle in the living room, and you're like, ah. Oh. Yeah, you just imagine that person's face just go white, and as mm -hmm. you said, there's nothing you can do about it. That, I, I have to admit, I, I didn't steal from an article. It it framed it a little differently where it's like, you know, there's nothing you can do once a domovoi tells you your fate. And I just thought that was so funny where I was like, well, frankly, there's nothing you can do. So just enjoy your time with your friend. I'm just imagining a grandpa who's a rat bastard. And mm -hmm. when he's being a jerk, one of the grandkids just very, very sneakily blowing out a candle. Like... <laughs> Or walking into his room at night and, like, gently touching his face with a cold, wet hand. Yeah. Yeah, Grandpa. <laughs> Not to <until> you. <laughs> we don't condone torturing grandpas on this podcast. <laughs> Rowan's making a face like, maybe you don't. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was the Domovoi. I've known about these little creatures for as long as I can remember, I've always just known of them as like the Russian version of brownies is what I thought of them as. So I'm curious to see how it lines up with what you found in your research. So as Tracy said, I covered brownies this week and there is a lot of overlap in these stories. And brownies for me are the same. I can't remember a time that I didn't know about them as being creatures that might be about your house. So... You know, we're going to see the similarities and differences, and truly there are going to be more similarities. Hmm, I'm excited. So brownies, or brownies, are small household spirits from Scottish folklore, specifically Germanic Scottish folklore. They've 
Of course. Huh. Ex- I didn't know Germanic Scottish was a big thing. Buckle up, buttercup. Okay. <laughs> so, of course, they've expanded their reach across the British Isles and Ireland. And so there's a vast number of regional names and forms for them, including hobs and silkies. Not to be confused with selkies. But it is worth noting, as Tracy was shocked to hear, that not all stories from this part of the world are originally Celtic. While the region's tales have blended over time and nationalism, specifically in the late 18th and 19th centuries, caused many countries to put one cultural identity in big, bold type at the expense of others, Knowing where this story comes from gives us a very interesting look at how these little monsters operate. It's possible that the origin of brownies, and I would assume many similar house elf variations, including perhaps the Domovoi, goes all the way back to Roman lairs. Yeah, I would imagine they do because domus is the Latin word for home, and dom is the Russian word for home. Mm -hmm. And Russian and Latin don't have uh, a ton of similarities, given the extreme difference in their language. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I would would imagine. I didn't find any etymology, but that's very, um, very interesting. So anyone who has no clue what we're talking about, a lair are often considered ancestral or guardian deities in Roman culture, ancient Roman culture. These beings observed, protected, and affected everything that happened within the location or item or function or being to which they were linked. So it could be anything from a specific home or temple to the function of abundance. I did not realize that about the the lair. Mm-hmm. So, layers? I've heard layers is a plural of it, but I would not rule out lair being also a plural. In my reading, they pluralized yeah. it with an S. Lair, layers are often connected to some... T- I, I say often. Honestly, I had found less stories of them being connected to kind of these wider ideas. Uh, And I think that probably, for example, abundance, that probably came from the lair of a field kind of evolving over time to being Mm -hmm. a symbol of abundance. But now we go back to Scotland. To quote Owlcation, an educational website that has a lovely article on this topic, quote, in fact... Many old folklore books that separate folklore by culture place Lowland Scotland under the Germanic category and Highland Scotland under Celtic. It has been noted that the Fae in Celtic tradition are much more sinister and untrustworthy compared to the more helpful spirits found within Germanic tradition. For instance, Celtic tradition usually advises people never to eat any food that is offered by the she as sipping their wine might trap you in fairyland. Conversely, Germanic tradition encourages people to eat any food offered by the elves, for to deny it would cause offense, but accepting it would gain favor, which would lead to blessings. 
While brownies are often considered part of the fae due to that blending I discussed earlier, sometimes people don't think that description fits. Either way, remember as we chat that this otherworldly being is at its heart helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So first, the basics. And here's where you're going to see some more Dome of Voice similarities. Descriptions of their physical forms vary as widely as their names, but where once upon a time they were the size of a human or larger, more recently they're said to be small and wizened and often covered in brown fur. Wow, that is just like the Domovoy, except gray fur instead of brown fur. Yes, and I don't have a map in front of me, but I I bet if you had a... A map that showed people's kind of migration before, let's say, I don't know, before even the 16th century, you'd see mm-hmm. the the seeds that are planted of these stories. Rome, baby. I mean, oh yeah, they spread far and wide. If if it is true that this comes from mm-hmm. the Roman lair, then that's your answer right there. If it's yeah. not the Roman lair, I mean, Russia seems far from the UK and Ireland, but truly in terms of human migration over time, not so much. Very true. Okay, so covered in brown fur, small and wizened. That's kind of where they are more more recently. Some say they have the power to turn invisible or take the shape of animals. And in their traditional form, they are always seen naked or dressed in rags. Give a brownie a cloak. Mm, 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 mm. Mm. Oh, don't. No. Okay. Hold your hold your horses. I'm so excited <laughs> about that. Okay. <laughs> Importantly, also for their description, they are almost exclusively male, except silkies mm. who are all female dressed in silks, because of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a notable female brownie named Harry Meg, but they usually don't appear in stories as women. Despite their usual maleness, to quote Wikipedia, the brownies in the Girl Guides are named after a short story by Juliana Horatia Ewing based on brownie folklore. As a former Girl Scout, I really don't know how to feel about that. As an also former Girl Scout, I didn't know that, and I feel like I should have known that. I thought I was like a little treat. Yeah. I thought it was named after the food. (laughs) Yeah. Which the food is named after the creature. Correct? I read it, but I didn't find it from a source that I was willing to hang my hat on. I read in a book called Brave Tart, and this is just from memory, that it appeared in a late 1890s cookbook, uh, the, the dish that we know as a brownie. And it was called Brownie's Food, and then it just got shortened mm. to brownie. Well... That's because, not unlike Domovoit, you can leave them little cakes. And brownies are inherently little sweet cakes. Mm-hmm. So we know what they look like. But what makes them a household spirit? Well, like the Domovoit, they strongly dislike being seen. They come out at night while the owners of the home are asleep, and they perform household tasks or farm work. But what do these house elves want in exchange for their labor? Here we're going to save Tracy's life. (laughs) Well, they do not want to be paid. 
Okay. And they certainly do not want to be thanked. Oh. In fact, you really can't acknowledge them at all. But as long as one leaves them a bowl of cream, ideally with honey, a small cake, ideally with honey, porridge, a portion of the family's supper, or even a bit of recently brewed beer, they will continue to do the work for your home. These offerings are usually left by the hearth, the traditional center of the home, when the fireplace was necessary for both heat and food, but a nice corner in the house is also fine. As long as you do not actually attempt to hand the food to the brownie itself, because then you'd be in trouble. And remember, it's an offering, not a payment. Okay. That is a big difference. You have to offer stuff to the domovoy or they get real pissed. Well, you do have to offer things to the brownie, but it's not, it can't be an exact transaction. Right? Yeah. You're you're yeah. taking care of them. The association with the hearth and the chores around it led to the creation of the brownie's seat or the brownie's sway. And I think this is really cool. It was in the 19th century design of a pot hook where they added a crook. And it was actually designed to be a seat for the small fellows to sit in and do their work. And if a pot hook did not have one, folks would hang a horseshoe upside down as a seat instead. That is very charming to imagine. Yes, you're you're making space for your your house friend. There's something so instinctual about that. I've always even as like a little kid, you know, with your stuffed animals, I wanted to like make sure they were all cozy and tucked in and there's just something oh, very yeah. instinctual about wanting to take care of the small creatures around you. Oh, absolutely. To bring back a quote from our friends at Allocation, and I think that this also relates to the cherubic young boys we were talking about with the Domovoy. <laughs> yeah. Quote, During periods of strong religious fervor, brownies were equated with demons. This was especially true during the Reformation period when Protestant reformers were much less tolerant of folk beliefs. So anyone found propitiating a domestic spirit could be accused of worshipping devils. As you may recall from folk stories, house elves are particularly fond of common food, such as porridge and dairy. Indeed, our own tradition of leaving an offering of cookies and milk out for that jolly old elf who visits on Christmas Eve has strong ties to Germanic elf tradition. End quote. Or in your case, leaving out whiskey. <laughs> yes, in my family's <laughs> case, leaving out whiskey or rum and Cokes. Oh, that's what it was. It was a rum and Coke. I apologize. <laughs> I, I'm sure it's been whiskey at one point. But, you know, Coca-Cola is Santa's drink. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that quote for two reasons. One, it acknowledges the fact that the monotheism of Christianity encouraged the demonization of household spirits and right. other deities that affected people's daily lives. Because think about it, if you're operating under the assumption that an unseen force directly affects your household from food to mm -hmm. chores to livelihood, then having another religion say that that thing is evil is going to affect you in a whole different way than keeping everything in the afterlife or the ether. Right. It directly affects your day-to-day -day experience and affects your view on 
everything you know, if it's so integrated into the fabric of your day-to-day life and it's evil, what else has tricked you? What else could be evil you didn't realize? Or on the other side of it, it makes it way harder to convince people to believe because it is so interwoven. I think you get either side of it. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons to choose to chip away at it. Because if you can Mm -hmm. get to the foundation, which in, I would argue, most cases is someone's home, Mm -hmm. then you're in. You're in, like, something. In, like, Flint. In, like, Flint. Okay. um, The other reason I like that quote is the tie-in with Santa Claus and Christmas in the Germanic tradition because an elf bringing presents to different houses is not far off from different elves that watch over specific houses. Right. And to kind of understand that through line gives us a really excellent picture of how people experiencing those beliefs looked at their own communities and their own houses and how your small choices affected not only your family but the people in your locale also it's winter so yeah yeah (laughs) so we know where they come from and we know why they're evolving these spirits bring prosperity to the home or people they assist. And losing a brownie means losing that same gift of prosperity. But it's not just a particular home that they might bond with, though that can certainly be the case. There's one story of a brownie who had a great love for a horse. He would follow wherever the horse was sold and be very good to anyone who took excellent care of his friend. Oh, best friends. That is so cute. That's like those unlikely animal friends videos that you see where it's like a baby rabbit and a dog. It's like a brownie and a horse. I saw artwork of it and the brownie was curled up in the hay near the horse. I don't think my heart can handle that. It was so charming. And it it does kind of have that animal quality because I would call them cat-like in nature. Mm-hmm. If you do anything that they don't like, laugh at them, spy on them, insult them. If your servants are lazy because the brownie is doing the work, if you try to baptize them, or even if you don't enjoy drinking your own alcohol, the brownie is going to make your life difficult. They might pinch you while you sleep, which I would argue is better than a soft caress. (laughs) It's less creepy, that's for sure. They'll break things or undo their work, generally make a mess, create noise in the night so you can't sleep, or even steal important items. If a brownie is mad enough, some stories say that they might turn into a bogart or a poltergeist. They are malevolent household spirits from English folklore that cause milk to sour, animals to go lame, they abduct children, and all manner of horrors. If a brownie turns into one, their whole form is said to become more horrific, with teeth sharpening and hair standing on end. A mad brownie is a terror enough, but to cause this transformation is next level. 
I'd heard of this before. A book I read years ago took place, you know, involving a lot of the this mythology. And that was the first time I really remember the brownie boggart transformation and understanding like what it really looked like to neglect or mistreat a brownie. Although if I'm remembering correctly, isn't there a boggart in Harry Potter? Yes. Tracy and I were talking about this this week because she said, you know, mad brownies are boggarts. And I said, no, mad brownies are just mad brownies. Yeah. <laughs> because that was my familiarity with the story. Turns out we're both right. Uh, boggarts seem to come from the more English belief of it. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that different areas have different realities. And a boggart isn't only a mad brownie. They can also be malevolent spirits of swamps or fields or a poltergeist in a house all on their own. Okay. Because, I mean, a brownie can be the benevolent spirit of a field. Yes. I'm, I'm more emphasizing that not every boggart is a brownie and not okay. every mad brownie is a boggart. Okay. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. So there are two important troubles that I want to address when it comes to brownies. One is the naming of these creatures. While there are tales of brownies with specific names that tend to specific famous locations, for you to give a brownie a name would actually drive them away as it's viewed as an insult. Now, Tracy mentioned clothing, and I'm sure this entire time everyone has been thinking about Dobby from the Harry Potter series. I know this because how could you not? We are both describing house elves that proliferate the world, the UK, dressed in rags, in my case, and they perform household chores. Well, J.K. Rowling, awful turf that she is, did not come up with the name Dobby all on her own. We're coming at you live from Wikipedia. Quote, Dobby is another term for a hobgoblin in Lancashire and Yorkshire, according to the folklorist Elizabeth Mary Wright, especially one that is a relentless prankster. Much like the Boggart, a Dobby's pranks may become so troublesome that a family decides to move elsewhere, only to find that the Dobby has followed them. One version of this tale involves Robin Roundcap. However, one Yorkshire Dobby, or Hob, lived in a cave and was noted for curing children of whooping cough. Dobbies could be just as industrious as other hobgoblins and brownies, which led to the expression, Master Dobbs has been helping you, whenever a person has accomplished more work than was expected. I had no idea about the etymology of that. I didn't know either until I looked it up. I'm curious, although I I doubt it's the case, if Dobby came from hobgoblin through almost that sort of cockney rhyming slang. I don't know how much you know about that. Yes, very. I know a lot about that. I love rhyming slang. Yes, I do too. We do it in America too. We it's, do, but not the, not quite to the extreme of... No, no, no. Which for people who don't know, it, it's this tradition of replacing words with other words through rhyming. So, you know, you would replace the word face with boat because face rhymes with boat race or you would say would you adam and eve it 
because Adam and Eve rhymes with believe. So instead of would you believe it, would you Adam and Eve it? Um, so I thought immediately of Hobgoblin, Doblin, Dobby. It's such an interesting way of communicating. I love rhyming slang. Oh, it's so good. The one that stuck out to me, I met this woman named Verena, who was friends with my aunt. And she's like 82 and the most energetic woman you've ever met. And she's from England. And she was telling me about that. And the one that stuck out to me was apples and pears Mm -hmm. for stairs. Mm -hmm. That one got me. There's a really great book on it called, I believe it's called Cockney Rabbit. Mm. We had it in our library at college because we all had to use it quite a lot. 10 out of 10 on that book. Circling back. Unlike the Harry Potter series, brownies and their counterparts in the region are not slaves. They come and go as they please, and giving them clothing is just one more way to insult them. Apparently, the first English-language mention of a brownie leaving after being presented clothing comes from Reginald Scott's The Discovery of Witchcraft, published in 1584. Okay, so very different from the domovoi. You need to clothe your domovoi, and you cannot clothe your brownie. No. Also, please note discovery in this case is spelled with an (laughs) I-E. Love that energy for it. As brownies are occasionally known to recite couplets in their frustration, one of these Scottish house elves was said to go off after receiving breeches and a shift. Red breeches and a rough sark, you no more get me to do your work. Can you imagine getting so angry that you just start rhyming in couplets? Are you kidding? I love it. I love it so much. Tracy, should you encounter, after all these years, should you finally encounter the brownie that lives in your home? Do not give them a sock. They will not be free. They will torture you. Just leave the creature alone and put out a snack. Easily done. Here's one of my favorite quotes about brownies. In 1703, John Brand wrote in his famous description of Shetland that, quote, Not above 40 or 50 years ago, every family had a brownie, or evil spirit, so-called, which served them, to which they gave a sacrifice for his service. And when they churned their milk, they took a part thereof and sprinkled every corner of the house with it for brownies' use. Likewise, when they brewed, they had a stone which they called brownie's stain, wherein there was a little hole in which they poured some of the wort for a sacrifice to brownie. They also had some stacks of corn, which they called brownie's stacks, which, though they were not bound with straw ropes, or in any way fenced as other stacks used to be, yet the greatest storm of wind was not able to blow away straw off them. Mm-hmm. I love this for many reasons. One, the idea that about 40 or 50 years ago from the time <laughs> of this writing, every household had one. Oh my god, yeah. 1703 being like, in those ancient times of 40 to 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I love also that In this case, you don't hear the brownie. You just hear brownie because you can't name them. Mm -hmm. So you can call them brownie. And then I I love the way it references the blessing of their being there. The wind will not blow away what you offer them 
because Mm -hmm. that is part of the brownie's blessing. Okay, now that I've been very enthusiastic, are you ready for a story? (laughs) Yes, I'm ready. If you've ever known someone who's now dead, you'll understand exactly how easy it is for any place to become a mausoleum. That's how I felt when I inherited my grandmother's house. I loved her, and someone needed to take it since the entire generation between us was either dead or very bad at staying in a family, and my sister was married with kids and a thousand other convenient reasons that meant I, last unmarried son of a soon-to-be-extinct bloodline unless I convinced some woman to love me and have my babies, ended up with a very old house in a very bleak countryside. If I were a novelist or even remotely interesting in any way, this would be the beginning of a very good story. But I'm not, so it won't be. The house was a creaky, gothic monstrosity that crouched like impending doom on the top of a shallow hill. It was filled to the brim with old furniture and tchotchkes and dust, and I resented it. Not because I had to move, there wasn't much to give up. Not because it was daunting, I'm not afraid of a bit of housework. And not because the Wi-Fi was a nightmare to set up, I reveled in inconveniencing my boss. I resented the house because in every room there were the pieces of my grandmother's daily life. A note she'd taken by the phone, a bookmark... Shoes by the door. A half-used tub of mouthwash. Each time I thought I'd convinced myself not to mind those little things, they hit me like a sack of stones tossed at my chest. If you've ever convinced yourself that you don't miss someone, I'm going to urge you, at all costs, not to open their closet. The specific human scent of their specific little life will have you on your knees, bawling, surrounded by sweaters and mothballs. I got to work pretty quickly. The first few nights in the house, I'd nearly convinced myself it was haunted. I kept hearing soft, sad whimpering and creaking stairs, and I decided it was nothing a gallon of Febreze and an army's supply of paper towels couldn't fix. The first day, I collected all the little disposables. Pills, post-it notes, toothpaste. I rounded them all up and tossed them away. And then I had to fish through the trash can to find a notebook that I decided I couldn't bear to part with only after it commingled with the day's refuse. Grief makes you do weird things. I also sorted out the kitchen so I could whip up an omelet without finding mysterious brown cat hair floating in my eggs. There was a moment that made me smile. My grandmother always had one of those magnetic notepads on the fridge, a classic grandma move, I think, and she would use this beautiful pen to write in perfect cursive things like pickles, bread, cheese... But the only thing she'd written was, cream and honey for the brownie. If we're talking stereotypical gender roles, I could really impress a woman with a steak or a homemade spaghetti, but I am no baker. 
I say this because I've never heard of a brownie recipe that called for either cream or honey, but trusting in my grandma's grandma wisdom, I kept the note and endeavored to find one. The thought made me smile, and I'd gladly take what joy I could when it came. I slept horribly for the next few nights. I still didn't have Wi-Fi, so each day I would make some progress cleaning the house, progress that seemed so fast that I was frankly shocked. Then, each night, my dreams of creaking and crying got worse. And weirdly louder? Using my phone, my search history became, How much melatonin can an adult male take in one night? Can you mix melatonin and alcohol? Does asking your doctor for a sleep aid make them think you are a drug seeker? I think that paints a pretty clear picture of my descent into sleeplessness and desperation. (laughs) I can't remember, but maybe the fifth or sixth night, I got up when I heard the creaking on the stairs. I decided there were three possibilities. One, the house was haunted by my grandmother, in which case I had very little to fear and should probably say hello. Two, the house was settling in an alarmingly loud way that meant I would need to call an expert of some sort, lest the whole thing disappear into a sinkhole. Three, there was a wild raccoon that ran around at night, and if it bit me, I could die cold and alone, frothing at the mouth in my grandmother's home, only to be eaten by said raccoon and then decay into the mattress until next Christmas when my sister remembered to tell me what presents her children wanted, and I didn't answer the phone, so she called local officials to come check on me, and some poor unsuspecting local rookie cop found my body and was scarred for life. So, I crept into the hallway, wearing my grandmother's tiny house slippers on my massive feet and wrapping a decidedly lacy and not at all warm robe around my body. If I was going to meet that raccoon that killed me, it would not serve to appear in the buff. Right there, at the far end of the hall, two large eyes blinked back at me from a low crouch. I shit you not. And as I was yelping and preparing to run back into my room, it moved forward so fast, so fast that it was looking up at me from my feet before I'd even turned all the way around. You know when you see a cockroach skitter very, very quickly and your feet sort of do that jumpy, get-me-off-the-floor-right-now dance, but there's nowhere to go, so you're somehow standing like a flummoxed flamingo? That was me in that moment. Only I had lost a slipper and my robe came untied. I want you to know that certain death was staring back at me in the form of a small, old man-typed creature covered in thick brown fur with high, pointed ears, wide black eyes, and a big, too damn big to make sense mouth hanging open. His arms were human, but his hands were quite long and large and clawed and... Well, he, and I know it was a he, was also naked. 
I couldn't figure out what to say. Wasn't sure if this fast man creature would be up for conversation and had figured out the cause of the noises, so I left my slipper for dead, turned, and walked back into my bedroom without a word. If I thought a few creaks on the stairs were loud, I was a fool. The noise of that night was a house party in comparison. I knew the little man was destroying things, and I knew he was quite a lot smaller than me, but I also knew deep in my heart of hearts that should I confront the wee beastie, he could and would probably kill me if he saw fit. The next morning, empowered by daylight as any self-respecting person in what was amounting to a horror film would be, I inspected the house. I was right. All the work I'd done on the den the previous day was absolutely undone and more. The curtains were shredded, the pillows ruined, tables and chairs toppled, photo frames smashed. All of them, except a portrait of my grandma that sat on the hearth. It was the one where she smiled at the camera and presumably my grandfather, as if the sun were rising right before her eyes. She was standing at the front door of the house, and she looked overjoyed. And there were layers and layers of long, slender fingerprints on the polished silver frame. I had pretty readily accepted that the little furry man existed, and I'd owe that to lack of sleep, but in truth, it was years and years of bedtime stories from the very same woman in whose home I now lived. The idea that a tiny, otherworldly man shared this big, spooky home with me felt pretty... Well, I don't want to say normal, but it didn't feel abnormal. I promised myself one cup of fresh, hot coffee before I tackled the disaster that was the den. Back in the kitchen, which was in fine shape, by the way, I'd just poured my mug and was reaching into the fridge for cream when I saw the notepad again. Cream and honey for the brownie. I had gone shopping, and I picked up the items on my grandmother's last will and grocery list— Only it wasn't a grocery list. It was directions to care for the house elf. I remembered it like some convenient cutscene on TV. My grandmother telling me the story of brownies while she was tucking me into bed, the very same bed in which I now slept. Oh my god, little man, I am so sorry! I sort of shouted at the house in general. This was not good. I knew that from years of reading paperback fantasy novels. If a spirit or fae was messing with your house, shit was bad and getting worse quickly. If the brownie had stayed in the old house, then it was probably a bit worse for the wear in those weeks while the place collected dust and was left unoccupied. Unfortunately for me, 
My brain refused to give me any more useful information about my tiny roommate, so I had no idea what the next steps were, besides leaving the little devil some sweet cream. While I got to work, heating up the cream and melting in the honey, I pulled out my phone. The first search results for brownie were obviously unhelpful, but when I finally figured out how to get to the folktales, my heart sank. You can't look at them, or talk to them, or dress them, or name them, or thank them, or even acknowledge them, and I had done nearly every single one of those things. I mean, I'd accidentally thrown a tiny slipper at the guy. And if he thought Little Man was an official nickname, there was no amount of cream that was going to save me from a very domestic form of torture. That night, I went to bed, fully clothed in case I was seriously going to die. I did not want to be a naked corpse. But not before leaving some of the sweetened cream on top of the fireplace next to the picture of my grandmother. I did the whole thing very fancy. I used one of the china teacups my grandmother really loved, and I found her biscuits from a tin in the pantry, and I left the last coals of an evening fire smoldering. There was no sound, not the creak of a single floorboard, and I know, I know I shouldn't have done it, because what magical potential bad guy doesn't catch you sneaking? But I did. I snuck downstairs as quietly as I could possibly manage sans tiny slippers to take a peek into the den. It was cleaner even than I'd left it after all the tidying. The coffee table was practically shining in the low light of the embers and the curtains were back up and... Stitched? Did he stitch them? The small brownie was perched on the ledge of the hearth, doing a warm sort of wiggle while he held the teacup delicately in his hand. His claws were short now, and the thick brown fur around his mouth had a dusting of crumbs and cream. He had the picture of my grandmother turned toward him, and though I couldn't hear a single word he said— It looked as if the house elf were having a conversation with an old friend. His eyes were filled with a wet gleam. It looked... homey. And it made tears come to my eyes for the thousandth time since I'd been in the house. My throat was doing that Bernie trying not to cry thing, but this felt different. It actually kind of felt good. Like, maybe if I did die all alone in the house, maybe even after years of happiness, this little guy would make sure I wasn't actually alone, somehow. I was feeling pretty sentimental about something that only one night previous had frickin' skitter-walked at me in a dark hallway, so... Before I gave myself away and sealed my doom and the doom of the curtains, I snuck away. Lying in bed, I was excited in a way that felt a little wrong. 
because it had been so long since I was anything other than that specific emotion of trying not to be sad. I pulled out my phone and quickly typed into my grocery list, right at the very top, cream and honey for the brownie. Thanks, Grandma. Not gonna lie. That one, that one got me a little, right in, my, right in my feels, right in my heart. That, right at the end, I'm not gonna cry. I like, that one really got me. <laughs> the idea of him missing her, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> of him missing her so much. And, ha- ugh. And having been alone, and then, like, the character comes in and feeling that love again. So there are a couple stories that I sort of pulled from as reference for this tale. There's a story of a brownie that was tied to uh, the property of a wealthy lord and Mm -hmm. been passed down. And at one point in its history, there was a long gap when it went from one owner to the next, so that when the next person took the home, the brownie was disheveled and, like, doing very poorly Mm -hmm. uh, because it had been left alone for so long, I guess. And the man tried to give him clothing. And then it, it went badly. And I really do like the idea of the brownie being attached to the house, but also simultaneously being very connected with this person, especially a grandparent. Yeah. Brownies and this this tradition of folklore in the home, to me, has that grandparent feel. You know, it has the ancestral magic. It has the tending that the Older people in our family often take on, especially in times when survival was much harder than Mm -hmm. it is for the daily person today. I have to say, I do feel very personally called out by your story because I have a magnet grocery list on my fridge that I use. I love (laughs) magnet grocery lists. My grandma actually did not have a magnet grocery list. I love them. I got a grocery uh, I, I got a little notepad in one of my diamond care packages and i loved it so much as this really cute little cat notepad that was the perfect size to stick on your fridge so i actually bought magnets where you can peel mm-hmm. the back off and stick them and i turned it into a fridge magnet and it was the greatest thing i ever did because whenever jamie tim or i think of anything that we need for groceries we just write it on the list and then whoever goes does the grocery shopping just grabs the list it's so handy so I felt I felt personally called out by that story, but that was I mean, that was so good. I say it every week, but I just love your writing style so much. It is so poetic and introspective. And this one was so funny. This was really I loved the humor. Well, the real call outs in this story are um this guy being frustrated that his brain wasn't giving him anything useful because we talk about that all the time oh yeah as soon as you need the information it's gone and you're like i've never heard it in my life and the catastrophizing i really i knew this story that i wanted to write before i did the research as has been happening lately and i had this idea for a 
you know, a young single guy being in this big spooky house because of the Victorian ghost story that you had me read. The the one that I sent you, um, the Charlotte Riddle one, the A Strange Christmas Game. Yes. A Strange Christmas Game. Yes, yes, where, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, where it's the, so this is a, a for those who don't know, uh, a, a Victorian tradition was to read ghost stories around the fire. So I sent this one to Rowan that was actually written by a woman. And in case you were wondering if we're nerds, I know. <laughs> uh, so, so for me to sound really cool, I'm going to tell you about how I sent Rowan a Victorian ghost story. <laughs> um, but it was about a guy who inherited an old house from like an uncle he didn't know, and then they find they find a ghost in the house and solve a murder. It's actually very good. Check out a strange Christmas game. I love the idea of a young person inheriting an old house that has such personality. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the idea of a young person, a modern young person, just catastrophizing something, like deciding there's a raccoon in his house. Yeah. <laughs> that's, I, that's something I would do. Yes. <laughs> yes, it definitely had very, very specific emotions in this story that I could connect to. <laughs> but I would say, and, you know, if you don't agree with me, chime out, but I think in conclusion... Brownies, Domovoy, house elves are just incredibly relatable. Like in my case for brownies, I care about you and I want you to succeed, but you can't be lazy and you can't thank me and you can't tell me to put on clothes and you can't look at me and you can't compliment me and you definitely can't insult me. And if you stop giving me snacks, this is over. Like, does it get more relatable than that? <laughs> yeah, I would say yes, in the sense of the Doma boy being like, you can't be lazy, you have to be polite, you have to be clean, um, but give me good clothes and thank me very often <laughs> and give me snacks. That's the one that I connect to. I just love brownies that are like, you have to like alcohol, you have to enjoy your drinks, and I'm not putting on clothes and you can't stop me. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah, the little little naked man running around. <laughs> and that, again, the Okay, I don't it, it's I don't think it's part of usual house elf stories for them to very be very quick moving. Like but there's nothing scarier than something quick moving at oh. you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so inherently inhuman. When well, and the rule of nature is the smaller you are the faster you tend to be so i would imagine they are very speedy little creatures oh just that image yeah, I hate of, it. It. Ugh, of it just appe- basically just appearing at your feet ugh. and in case anyone was curious the sound of his scurrying is that very familiar sound of a duck walking <laughs> <laughs> but that makes me think that he's got like does it have really wide, flat feet? Because that's like, it's like a very, like, a flapping sound. Right. Well, there are so many different ways that brownies can look, just like the Domovoy. Like, mm-hmm. having extra large hands is not in every single story, but I like it. You know, sometimes they have more man faces and those long beards, but I really just wanted him to have a spooky mouth and move really fast. Mm-hmm. Like, I want, I wanted my guy to experience caring for and loving something that he also feared yeah it's such that is such a mythology mm-hmm. folktale fairy tale experience yes and i love that you chose the brownie that best suits you <laughs> <laughs> oh my 
my God, Nina. We love her. Nina and Astrid are friends. <laughs> this is how it has to be. It's It absolutely is how it has to be. I think this is the first time we've done an episode where our topics had so much overlap. Yeah. Because originally, actually, what I wanted to cover was the Roman lair. And then I switched oh, it. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like, way back, that was my original thought. And then I switched it to the Domovoi because I, I knew a little bit more about them. And I just got excited because I just think they're such creepy little little, little friends. <laughs> but even the lair, I, I, it's such a... It's such a ubiquitous story. It's one that has spread far and wide, but has not changed so drastically as to be really unrecognizable. Well, it's a catch-all. It can explain so many little inconveniences. And there are so many stories of farms that were doing well falling into hardship and the ideas that the brownie left them or Mm -hmm. every little thing you can attribute to this mythological creature it's yeah it's i mean perfect. everything from you're missing uh, you put something down and you forgot where it was and oh the brownie took it or i really thought it was very funny domovoi are very particular about utensils i saw that a bunch like don't leave your utensils out that's intense what are they gonna do with it you made it sound like they were gonna do some really like pluck out your eyeballs with a fork kind of stuff all i could find was that like unspeakable purposes like literally (laughs) i found that phrase in an article and laughed to myself for like five minutes straight because the idea of taking something something as mundane as a fork and using it for unfathomable means i'm imagining a tiny little man coming up to you next to next to your head in the bed and just dragging the tines of the fork down your cheek and then scurrying away oh the idea of them scurrying Oh, oh! You know they scurry. You no, know because they, they scurry. don't. None of them like to be seen. Oh, they absolutely scurry. I was more imagining a squat, little, hairy old man just holding a fork like a pitchfork angrily at you because <laughs> you left it out. Like, they use it to fight the other domovoi. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a battle with kitchen utensils. Like you're not taking care of my weapons that I need to defend this house. Yes. <laughs> Oh. You lick ketchup off the fork. Oh, no, it's Domovoy blood. Dark. <laughs> I'm broken on the inside. I'm sorry. <laughs> I like to imagine that if you leave the utensils out, it means they have to go out and fight. And they're mad at you because they're like, oh, now I have to use this to go slay my enemies with a spork. See? House elves just have an endless capacity for good stories. Yes, because they're they're so mischievous, but not necessarily malevolent. And so you can get the fun trickster vibes, but at the end of the day, it still comes down to they want to help you and bring good things to you. And I would say in the Harry Potter series where uh, she utilized the idea of a house elf and then... In that world, they were enslaved people. Mm -hmm. While that is distant from the original story, it is a very intriguing and clever way to utilize that idea. Mm -hmm. And listen, y'all, there are so many other fantasy series. Just go find them. But it is a huge part of now our 
common culture of what mm-hmm. fantasy is, whether we like it or not. Universal Studios did that. Yeah. So it's a very easy reference point. It is. It is. And I'm a, f- a firm believer in the death of the author. Once a work has been released out into the world, the author's intent can no longer be put upon it. And I think that is a helpful way to think about, in particular, that woman and her works. <laughs> yeah. It's not an excuse to continue to fund someone by just pretending they don't exist, but it, it's just a, a way of thinking that um, I personally find really important because I think as soon as you start to consume anything, your interpretation of it is valid and whatever the author intended doesn't get to be more important than your own experience of it. Oh, absolutely. And especially in the case of Harry Potter, in which entire generations of Mm -hmm. people so strongly identify with those stories. Have them. You already have the books. Enjoy what you can and, you know, don't give money to the rest. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I think that's our stories for today. I think we we have successfully horrified and heartwarmed mm-hmm. our friends. As we are wont to do. Merry happy winter, y'all. <laughs> that's how it's gotta be. <laughs> Merry happy winter. We just wanted to do a quick shout out this week to thank everyone who has been so enthusiastic about our Willing and Fable merch. Yes. That is truly heartwarming. Yes. We so appreciate you guys being excited, and we always look forward to seeing any pictures of you wearing them, and it's just, we love it. We can't say it enough. Yes. If you ever take a picture of yourself wearing it, please tag us in it. We're always Willing and Fable on all of our everythings. It, it just, we love seeing it. It makes us so happy. It does. Listen, we won't darn your socks, but we will be enthusiastic about your clothing. Not unlike a domovoy? I don't know. Nailed it. Amazing. Thank you. I, <laughs> I started great with my transitions, and here we are. Tracy. Yes? Tell me something good. Okay. My something good this week is that... I am really excited to be going to another drive-in movie. Oh. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to two. Uh, one, my work is actually paying for. Uh, okay. They're, they're, I, it's so cool. They they do something at the end of every year to celebrate everyone and thank them. Mm-hmm. And normally it's an in-person thing, which we can't do. So this year they're letting everyone go to a drive-in movie for free and they'll – like send you goodies and stuff. Is it on a special day or can you go at any time? Uh, you pick a certain date and time. There's like preset dates and times. That's so nice. Yeah. So I'm going to see Jurassic Park at a drive-in. Oh. I'm so excited. I bet that's really good on drive-in actually. I am so excited. I'm so excited. So I'm just excited about getting to spend time with my friends and family and do as as many little safe activities as possible. This is not a COVID safe thing, but pre-pandemic, the Hollywood Bowl, which is a big amphitheater in Los Angeles, would have movies and they'd have a live orchestra playing the music for the film. 
That's so cool. I went to the Jurassic Park one, and it was so cool to hear the live orchestra playing those iconic themes. Yes. And it really makes the film about the music. I and mean, You can hear the dialogue. You can enjoy the film. It's on screens everywhere. But having the live full orchestra really makes you tune into the music in a new way. Oh, I bet. That is amazing. When the pandemic's over, I guess you're going to have to come in to the L.A. version of a drive-in movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know they used to, before the pandemic, do that in Philly. They would do it with, like, Star Wars and Harry Potter and... Again, all very iconic themes. Mm-hmm. So, Rowan. Mm-hmm. Tell me something good. Well... I had a catastrophic week, which is fine. Those weeks happen. So my something good is very tiny. I was staying up late at night looking at my phone as people are wont to do. <laughs> it's not advisable. But I came across a video of a young woman doing a hula that she was learning at her hula school. And she was so passionate about it and so excited and so talented. Mm. But even though it was still a work in progress, you could see in moments of the dance when she was really into it, like she would kind of grin and laugh. Mm -hmm. And then you would get these other moments where she was really thinking about what she was doing. And just seeing other people's joy when they are creating something that they unabashedly love is so contagious. It had me laughing. I was just laughing. I was so excited Aww. to see that. I don't know this person. It was very nice of her to put that on the internet for me to be cheered up by. Yeah. So, you know, I think I definitely get in a cycle of not wanting to put out into the world things that aren't my version of polished and perfect. Right. But I loved that because it was a work in progress. So, you know, that was a nice reminder. Yeah. Perfection is the enemy of progress. I firmly believe that. My family's version of that is done needs no excuse. Mmm. You're right. <laughs> so, listen, everyone. Perfection is the enemy of progress. It's we're going back into another big old <laughs> slump in the pandemic. So take care of yourselves. Mm -hmm. Be nice to your house self. Try to take care of yourself, but mostly just do your best <laughs> and stay safe. Stay safe. Stay sanitized. Take a shower when you can. Drink some water. Unclench your jaw. And thank you so much for listening. And remember, stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell a friend. Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon, okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall. That's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ash and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes, 
or find us at Willing and Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of ancient myths, local legends, and stories with staying power.